This is the Jazz Joe Hall Show on 980 CKNW. Keith, thank you. <laughs> I'm not sure that's how Ariana Grande, Grande recorded that song. Welcome back to the show. Uh, and of course, we are welcoming Keith Baldry, Global BC's Legislative Bureau Chiefs, on board. Hello, Keith. Hi, Jazz. I was not expecting that intro. Well, there you go. Oh, well, there you go. There's a few things we got to touch on uh, today uh, in regards to politics and business. Uh, Canada's provinces um, were told today they'll need to be moving towards non-emitting power grids to access clean electricity investment tax credits. Uh, the federal government made the announcement today. Um, basically, there have been, uh, you know, many elected officials in the Prairie provinces, particularly Alberta and Saskatchewan, who say they uh, say the targets that the federal government's, uh, the federal government's been setting uh, are unrealistic and they're aiming for 2050 instead. The announcement today in regards to this power grid announcement, uh, the, the government wants to hit net zero by 2035. Take a listen to Jonathan Wilkinson, Natural Resources Minister. And we are in the process right now of consulting um, broadly, including with provinces and territories, about exactly how we implement that in terms of the conditionality of the investment tax credit. But certainly to access the tax credit will require that we are moving in the direction of a non-emitting grid. So that's the vision of the Liberal government. They want to hit uh, their numbers or targets by 2035. And as I said, Alberta and Saskatchewan's already said, forget it, the target is unrealistic. Let's aim for 2050 instead. Your thoughts on this announcement today? Well, this is a bit, well, first of all, it's not particularly new. This was flagged in the last federal budget where Christian Freeland basically announced we're going to mass electrification. Everyone's been waiting for the details. We got a number of the details today from Energy Minister. Jonathan Wilkinson, um, some of the details sketched out in the budget, a little more meat on the bone today, these four, up to $40 billion in tax incentives. This is a massive program. I mean, you can't overestimate how big this, these goals are to massively electrify the entire Canadian um, system, energy grid. And so it's 100% uh, clean energy grid by 2035, overall net zero greenhouse gas emissions everywhere by 2050. Already you've got Alberta balking at this, no surprise it being Alberta. Mm-hmm. But there's other provinces as well that just are nowhere near far along with alternative energy sources or clean energy sources to replace fossil fuels. BC is in a very good position. We have hydroelectricity. We don't have coal in BC. Alberta still has a lot of coal. They put the brakes on uh, alternative energy uh, just this week, uh, where Daniel Smith says there's a moratorium on establishing some of these new uh, clean renewable energy projects, such as solar and wind. So I think you're going to see a significant showdown between if this government survives, if the Canadian government survives, uh, and the provinces, on some of the provinces, on this critical issue of uh, how much electrification can there be, how fast can it be built, and how quickly can or should it displace existing uh, fuel um, options such as natural gas, which is what uh, Alberta is arguing for, that you cannot displace natural gas. So this is a huge issue. It's all tied to climate change. It's tied to rapid population growth. And the stage is set, I think, for a pretty big standoff, I think, between some of the provinces who think Ottawa is moving too fast. Now, it'll be interesting. If we have a changing government, mm-hmm. if Pierre Poliev and the Conservatives come in, 
this could be turned on its head. Uh, Poliev, I don't think, shares the liberals' um, view that uh, this has to be done as rapidly as the liberals have envisioned here. And there's a lot of skepticism attached to this. Can we really find this so much electricity in such a short period of time? Uh, you know, just to put this in perspective, the Site C dam comes online in a couple of years. Mm-hmm. It has the amount, enough energy to power 450,000 homes or... And I stress or, not and, but or, 1.7 million, dollars, 1.7 million electric, electronic vehicles. So if there's going to be this surge in demand of electronic vehicles, coupled with population growth, which is going to have a great surge in demand for, for energy, is there enough electricity out there to, to satiate the demand and fulfill the target? So a lot of skepticism, and I, staged, I think the stage is set for a looming showdown between some of the provinces and Ottawa. Mm-hmm. Uh, Keith, do you think the government's too far ahead of the public. And what I mean by that is on this show, I constantly get calls. Uh, and I, look, I believe you should put a price on carbon, but I also think you need to say, look, are we competitive as an economy? And how much of an impact is this having on the average citizen? Is the carbon tax revenue neutral, which is not in this province? Um, do you think that the government, I don't care if it's the provincial government, particularly the federal government in this case, has just gotten ahead of the public because these rates are going to continue to go up till 2030. It's a significant in- impact at the pump, number one. It's all well and good for the public to say we have to do something about climate change. I would agree with that. But when it starts hitting you in the pocketbook, uh, you know, people do a, have to do a rethink somewhere along the way. Do you, do you worry here that the government may just be getting ahead of the public on this one? Oh, I think that's a genuine concern. I mean, and this is the this is the riddle of fighting climate change. To fight climate change, there has to be real progress made in reducing fossil fuel consumption, and that means there's some pain associated with that. But are, is the public willing to pay that that type of pain on a short-term basis if they don't necessarily see a short-term payoff? The carbon tax is a classic example where we're not seeing a reduction in greenhouse gas emissions, even though the carbon tax continues to go up. We're missing our targets right across the world. No one's really meeting their targets that were set without really, uh, I think, a lot of explanation of how you got to those targets. No one's meeting the targets, yet the taxes and the measures associated with meeting those targets continue to be implemented and to go up. And I think a good parallel is what we saw in the pandemic with public health. Public health had to make sure it was never too far ahead of the public mm-hmm. when it came to implementing what at the time seemed to be extraordinary measures of not being able to gather with people, not being able to have parties, not being able to have funerals or weddings. All these things we took for granted suddenly had to be stood down. But it was done over a period of time where the public was slowly brought along in this extraordinary situation. And the difference was the pandemic had the virus in front of you right there every day. You knew friends, many relatives who were dying from this. Climate change is different. It's playing out over a much longer period of time, albeit that period of time is getting shorter as we see every summer getting worse and worse. Mm-hmm. But as soon as the fire disappears and, this, and the, the weather cools down and it rains again, I think a lot of people forget about that climate change, yet they still see the measures associated with fighting it. And that means things like increasing the carbon tax. And at some point, I'm not sure that strategy is going to work uh, any longer with the public. It has to be brought on, I think, in a, a, a slower way. And as you say, if it gets too far ahead of the public, there's going to be pushback and not buy-in. Mm-hmm. And that was the key of public health, get but get buy-in, not pushback. And that's why a lot of the measures were successful associated with that emergency. My guest is Keith Alder, Global BC's Legislative Bureau Chief. Give us a call on the open line. I want to hear from you. What would you like to see the government do, federal or provincial, to deal with the issue of climate change? Is carbon tax still the right way to go? Do we put a price on carbon? What do you think about today's announcement? 
announcement in regards to uh, pushing uh, governments to get to net zero or build a net zero grid by 2035. If you do so, you're going to get uh, a lot more federal dollars compared to provinces that don't. do want to hear from you. Are we generally, broadly speaking, uh, heading in the right direction in regards to fighting climate change uh, in this country? Let's go to Ron in Abbotsford. Hi, Ron. Hi, Jazz, and uh, greetings to Keith Baldry. You are a, you're a, a political icon in this province, Keith. Just want to say, oh, thanks very much. And uh, but are we headed in the right direction? I, I think we are. I mean, I paid taxes all my life. I don't mind paying my taxes as long as I know that the government is is spending my tax money wisely. My hard earned money, you know, is going to go to to them. And I expect, you know, some some really good decisions being made, you know, on on how to how to spend it. So you're OK with where that. we're at right now. So you, do you pay the carbon tax? Do you do you drive? Yes, I do. So you're OK with the yep. carbon tax presently? I was actually uh, quite pleased, you know, with um, uh, the former B.C. Liberal government under Gordon Campbell, who introduced mm-hmm. the carbon tax here in B.C. I thought it was the right thing to do. But, you know, I would like that to be revisited, as as you said before, because we're getting taxed to death. And uh, I would like to know, like, where is that tax money going? What is it doing? Mm-hmm. You know, Ron, thanks. Even, for example, uh, like, you know, with BC Ferries, they just dumped $500 million into the BC mm-hmm. Ferry Corp. Why? Yep. Ron, thanks for your call. Appreciate it. Keith, the, the dollars themselves now with carbon tax, they go into general revenue, right? They do, and they always have, but uh, they've always retired with an income tax cut. But yeah. after a while, that, you know, it just surpassed the money saved from an income tax cut. So, and the concern with the carbon tax, uh, in both had experience of this, governments after a while don't distinguish between taxes. Yeah. A tax is a tax is a tax. It goes all into the same pot. And the carbon tax, you know, Gordon Campbell was rightly lauded, first jurisdiction in North America to introduce a carbon tax. I think the, the aims were laudable, but the jury's out whether or not it's accomplished what it was supposed to do, which is to curb greenhouse gas emissions, stop people from driving as much, stop people from using as much fossil fuel. But a lot of people in their daily lives just can't stop doing that. And so does the tax become less of an of a impediment or, or disincentive to, to consume um, fossil fuels or just a tax that you pay as you go along and you still consume the same amount of fuel? That's the concern with the carbon tax. And yeah. I think, you know, I, I'm... You know, I think any measures have to be looked at to fighting climate change. But governments have to be careful, as you mentioned of just the last segment. You can't be too far ahead of the population, and you have to show that something's working. And so far, I don't think you can make the case that carbon tax has worked. Yeah, no, I think you're absolutely right. That's the that's the one concern I keep hearing from a lot of listeners. Let's go to Anthony in Coquitlam. Hi, Anthony. Hello. So my question uh, is, where are the accountants, the engineers, and the um, fiscal administrators here looking at where is, how are we going to pay for all this? And here's where I'm going. Your Nanaimo councillor today said we use 240 petajoules of uh, natural gas per day, sorry, per year. Now, if you were to shut that off immediately tomorrow, where would you get the replacement? Okay, because Site C Dam, when it comes on stream, full potential will be five times 10 to the 15 uh, kilowatts of energy per year. So if you do the math on that, that's about 48 Site C Dam. So if you're going to run every EV, every heat pump, 
and all the growth in Vancouver, um, what's our economy going to look like? Because you're going to be paying astronomical energy bills in this country. So where are you going to work? And by the way, the carbon tax, it's not a tax, it's a fine. Every time I drive my car to go shopping, to go to work, etc., mm-hmm. you're fining me money to go to work i need to get around i cannot get a smaller car you go you need to go shopping with kids and, and groceries and stuff mm-hmm. so basically it, it, this is a socialistic uh, uh what's the word here fantasy land yeah. and the government's not listening so where are the accountants where are the business people where are the engineers are saying this is not feasible where is the cost benefit analysis on this anthony because thank India you for the call China I got it. Thank well, you so much. Well, the carbon tax was brought in by Gordon Campbell, who I would, don't think would describe himself as a socialist. No, um, but it's the core issue. I think you, you, you answered it before. It's just that can you show people that it is changing, uh, the, you know, people are driving less? Is it changing habits? And, and I'm not sure we can say that. And it is going up significantly over the next uh, six years by 2030, well, right? So I would bet even if you increase the transit tax, quite apart from the carbon tax, say you increase the transit tax in, in Metro Vancouver, and say you increase the excise tax, and you increase the sales tax, would that have an impact on people stop driving? I, I think for many people, as the caller says, if they have to drive for work, they're yeah. going to continue to drive. And the other argument, I would say, you know, all this talk about electric electronic vehicles, um, could that money that's going to be spent there, we're talking billions of dollars of subsidies to mine these minerals in the ground. If you spent the same amount of money on building huge transit lines and getting people out of cars, period, whether they're electronic vehicles or fossil fuel, would that be money better spent? So this argument, this is a debate that's been going on for years. It's going to intensify going forward. Our population is growing rapidly. Our energy needs are growing rapidly. The fires are out there every summer. The temperature is going up. It's an emergency, but I don't think people are unified yet exactly, and that includes governments of all stripes, on exactly how to tackle this thing. Yeah, absolutely. Keith, thanks for your time. For most of us, crime is something we see on the news. We never think it could happen to us until it does. Loved ones are gone, and for the survivors, the scars will never heal. I'm Nancy Hickst, a senior crime reporter for Global News. And on this season of Crime Beat, I'll take you inside some of the most serious crime stories I've covered. Season six of Crime Beat is available now on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, and all podcast platforms.